MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, November 12, 2020. Today, Biden moves forward with a short list of potential cabinet picks despite Trump's continuing refusal to concede. The Ukraine police close an investigation into Joe Biden, opened by Rudy Giuliani's buddy Shokin. The right way to prosecute Trump crimes after the inauguration. Biden plans to roll back Trump's xenophobic immigration policies. How Trump is damaging national security. And to celebrate Veterans Day, Trump puts military members and spouses on a voter fraud list. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, how's it going? You know, it is... (laughs) Every day is another day. I, I'm sick of uh, of so many people's shit, uh, but it's, you know, another day closer to the end of his administration. So just trying to find some solace in that. Yeah, yeah. I was just reading uh, a news story that I'm still parsing and is going to end up in tomorrow's show, but it's basically a bunch of transcripts, court transcripts from... Uh, these Trump lawsuits alleging voter fraud and just this it's so pathetic uh, and I'll, I'm going to read these like tomorrow like transcript style you're going to love it but it's absolutely um, ridiculous but you know and I, I just tweeted out like look we're going to give it to the end of the week and if this Emily Murphy lady doesn't sign off on the transition at the GSA Maybe Biden will sue her. But, you know, they're just running out of options. He's not going to get faithless electors. He can't do the lawsuit stuff. There's not going to be a coup. So anyway, we're going to discuss a lot of that, uh, you know, today. And then later on in the show, I'll be talking with Asha Rangappa about how how to not worry about a coup. That's our (laughs) new thing. She's fabulous. Oh, she is. She's absolutely wonderful. Um, she was with us at our live show in Philadelphia, and uh, we went out and did, I think, karaoke and had wine and fries after. It was amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And Andrew Torres was with us, too, from Opening Arguments. And I'll also be speaking with uh, the uh, special guest at our live show in Chicago last July, July 27th, the same day that uh, Jerry Nadler filed under Article One impeachment powers to get the underlying Mueller investigation stuff. Um, and that's Renato Mariotti. We're going to be talking about the right way to go after Trump's crimes in a Biden administration, according to his opinion piece that he put out in Politico. So we've got a lot to get to today. You and I are going to do the headlines. And then, of course, we're going to come back and run through the good news. Um, and if you have good news to submit or corrections or confessions, you can do that at uh, what dailybeanspod.com and click contact. And that's, you know, we love that. And then you have to leave, you know, photos of your uh, lovely children or furry, furry children as, as tax. It's like a pod pet tax. So I enjoy it. But uh, anyway, we do have a lot of headlines to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So Trump is still refusing to concede the election as he sends Barr out to announce investigations into non-existent voter fraud. And according to sources, people within the State Department and the Pentagon are growing increasingly uncomfortable <laughs> with the delay. <laughs> and more, more, this is true fact here, more, for, well, all facts are true, more foreign leaders have con- congratulated Biden on his victory than Republican senators have. That's sad. Um, 
as I said in the beginning, the GSA has still not signed off on the transition, and we haven't seen uh, yet today any response to the letters sent from Congress. Remember that letter you read yesterday yeah. from three congressional members? That was due today, but we haven't seen those answers. And uh, despite that, Biden is moving forward with the transition, with his transition, just uh, you know, without the office space and, and the funding. And he's uh, beginning to put together his short list of potential cabinet picks. And we got a few of them for Secretary of State today. Now, we won't know who he chooses until December. But uh, these are the three people on the exceptionally short list for Secretary of State. Because you, know, you and I talked about that and how cool it would be if Susan Rice was one of them. And she is. She's uh, at the top of the list here. I don't know if these are in order of preference or just random. But Susan Rice is in there. And then Anthony Blinken, that's the Deputy Secretary of State under the Obama administration and Deputy, Deputy uh, National Security Advisor as well. And he's a, he's a great guy. His name's Anthony Blinken. And then uh, Senator Chris Coons from Delaware is on the list. Um, he's uh, chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Or, I don't know if he's the chair. He's on there. And um, he's got a lot of experience with that, too. So those are the top three on the on the Secretary of State list. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, Susan Rice, don't get me wrong, but uh, my fantasy cabinet pick uh, for Secretary of State probably would have been Yates, uh, but maybe Sally's still on there somewhere. Uh, I think she'd be phenomenal. She could be a great attorney general. Yeah, or AG for sure, actually. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's so many good people. So, I mean, honestly, I feel really confident no matter who the cabinet consists of there's so many qualified people out there uh, for s different positions like several that i feel like will be in good hands once this gets going yeah and and sally yates was actually the acting attorney general um and quit because of the muslim ban right that's actually probably now that i think about it yeah she's my ag pick because if, if it wasn't, you know, Kamala, Kamala would have been my AG pick, but I'm very happy she's the vice president of the United States elect at this point. Uh, so, yeah, um, thanks for setting me straight on that, um, so to speak, because that's where I want her. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, same, though. I mean, I, Yates could Yates would come out on top anywhere. She's incredible. Um, <laughs> Sorry, there was a lesbian joke there that I just I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But everyone knows what I'm thinking. All right, let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to take it out <laughs> no i'm leave that oh, in okay. there so you said sally yates can come on top anywhere and i just i, I oh. didn't say it oh. but <laughs> she'll come out on top yeah yeah oh yeah especially when holly hunter plays her in, oh goodness in the Comey rule it's yes. just like an extra boost just a little joy for all the listeners all right <laughs> You were talking about your previous lesbian joke when you said set the record straight, so to speak. I thought you were talking. I was like, why do you want to take that joke out? That was a fine joke. <laughs> I don't even understand what I say some of the time. Um, now, Trump made his first public appearance since he lost bigly. Uh, and he did that today at Arlington National Cemetery for Veterans Day. But he's still an asshole. Uh, he, you're supposed to come out at 1111. Uh, on 11-11, because that's, you know, Armistice Day and time. And uh, he was late, made people wait out in the rain. And Shocking. he spent a whole six minutes there. Yeah, he's just such a piece of shit. And uh, a letter sent November 5th on behalf of President Trump's re-election campaign to Attorney General Barr alleged that 3,062 voters who do not live in the state of Nevada improperly cast absentee ballots in the 2020 election. 
But the list that accompanies the letter of those accused of criminal voter fraud contains hundreds of overseas military post office boxes and more than a thousand locations where military personnel are stationed, such as uh, North, North Dakota, Edwards and Fort Irwin, California, Hill Air Force Base in Utah, Carlisle, Pennsylvania and Yuma, Arizona. Like it's like they couldn't even put two and two together. Um, and I was watching CNN and they're like, yeah, we reached out because we were able to look at this list and figure it out ourselves, <laughs> but they just submitted it. Uh, it's just absolutely and ridiculous. And I talked a little bit earlier about the ridiculous court cases that are going through. They're just all crumbling. 16 and zero, I think. I think we're 16. Yeah. And, 16 and oh. Yeah. And these and these judges are threatening these lawyers for be for lying you know you can't lie to an article three federal judge and they're you know they're like i'm sorry you know are are you a member of the bar of this court saying saying (laughs) such and such like as if to say i'll fucking sanction you and revoke your fucking bar status you dumbass and they're like oh no you're correct there's no fraud here it's just ridiculous and then the New York Times called election officials in all 50 states. Zero of them said there was any evidence of voter fraud in the count. But I am a little worried about the continued mantra that the election was free and fair. And I'll tell you why. Because I feel like this is one of those reflexive control. They're going to make us say one thing over and over again. And then we have to hold to it. They did this with the Believe All Women uh. um, thing right and then the Tara Reid allegation came out and we said I don't know if I believe this and everyone ah you said believe all women right and I think you know they get us to say there was no fraud this is free and fair election and then when we find that it was not a free and fair election because of Republicans they'll be like ah free and fair election you said you said right because there's some sketchy shit going on in Kentucky I'll tell you that right now yes and Maine and yeah I it's all very, there's a lot of sketchy shit. And I'm not saying this on Twitter. I'm not putting it out into the universe, like to try to get people to say, hmm, we have to question this election because I just want to get this part of it over. Biden won despite the cheating and the voter suppression. So let's get him seated and fit, and then go look for the voter fraud where it occurred on behalf of Republicans, because I know that it did. Right. Oh, we have absolutely. So when I say I know, I mean, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, just hearing you say that, I know you're right. My beans are on you, AG. Ugh, it's hmm. infuriating too, but um, some good news. Uh, though uh, the Ukrainian authorities have closed the criminal probe into Joe Biden, who was accused of improperly forcing the ouster of the country's prosecutor general in 2016. Not surprising to anyone. We knew that was a bunch of crap, but the investigation was launched in February after the ousted prosecutor, uh, Viktor Shokin, appealed to a court. So under Ukrainian law, basically anyone can go to court to request an investigation if the state investigative uh, bureau declines to open one of its own, which they did. Uh, The courts overwhelmingly order law enforcement to launch criminal cases even in the absence of evidence, according to uh, Vitaly Shabunin, the co-founder of the Anti-Corruption Action Center in Kiev-based watchdog group. So Shokin uh, was a central figure, as we all remember, in uh, Kaludi Rudy Giuliani's campaign to sully Biden, uh, one of the main threads of the impeachment proceedings, which is like the main thread of the impeachment proceeding. Um, Shokin Shokin claimed former vice president pressured Ukraine's now. It's hard to keep a straight face for some of this. I know. know. God, it's just, it's, it's... 
I, you can't make this shit up. Uh, Shokin claimed the vice, uh, the former vice president pressured Ukraine's now ex-president Petro Poroshenko to fire him for investigating the oil and gas extraction company Burisma, where Biden's son Hunter was on the board of directors until 2019. So this has been closed. They found nothing as we thought they would. Um, but it's nice to know that that is actually said and done. Although we probably won't hear much about it because, you know, everyone will just sweep that one under the rug. Just, oh, let's, let's not, let's not put too much light on that one. Yeah, it's too bad Trump didn't know that anyone can just walk into the Ukraine court and ask for an investigation. He wouldn't have had to bribe Zelensky. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> what a fucking tool. I mean, he would have to be able to actually walk into the office, though, too, and he's had trouble with that. So There may be a ramp. Especially if there's stairs or a ramp, yeah. <laughs> it could be raining. Is the office on the first floor? <laughs> I don't know. I think probably over in that area, he doesn't want to be above the fourth floor uh, in any building at this point in time. But that's just me. And uh, we reported earlier this week about a flurry of executive orders that Biden plans to issue when he gets to the White House. And I noticed a glaring omission of the zero tolerance family separation policy. Remember when we went over those and I was like, where's the, I'm assuming it's here, but yes, yeah, they didn't mention reuniting the kids. Well, today from NBC, Biden is planning a sweeping reversal of Trump's immigration policy from deportations to asylum. We already knew Biden was going to extend DACA and stop the Muslim ban, but new in this story, Biden will look to implement a hundred day freeze on deportations while his administration issues guidance on narrowing who can be arrested by immigration agents. Obama-era memos that prioritize the deportation of immigrants with criminal convictions, recent border crossers, and those who entered the country illegally more than once were scrapped in 2017 by Donald Trump so that no unauthorized immigrant would be exempted from being arrested and removed from the country. That's the zero-tolerance deportation policy Trump put into, into effect. And a source familiar with Biden's plan said new guidance would be designed to curb so-called collateral arrests, which are apprehensions of immigrants who are not the target of U.S. ICE and, you know, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, but nevertheless taken into custody because they're in the country without legal status, just on, on that basis alone. Biden has pledged to discontinue Trump administration policy of requiring non-Mexican migrants to wait in Mexico for the duration of their U.S. asylum cases. It is unclear Uh, How the cases of thousands of asylum seekers currently waiting in northern Mexico will be adjudicated and whether any of them will be uh, paroled and allowed to continue their proceedings in the United States. They didn't really address that part. And a source familiar with the Biden team's planning says the incoming administration will withdraw from the three bilateral agreements Trump brokered with Guatemala, El Salvador and Honduras that allow the U.S. to send rejected asylum seekers to those countries and have them seek refuge there. When they're not from those countries, which is just infuriating. Yes. And uh, the Biden, Biden will also look at reinstating an Obama initiative that allowed certain at-risk children in Central America to request refugee or parole status and reunite with their families in the U.S. if their parents were authorized to be in the country. That, that seems like why Trump was disallowing that just seems insane. He will also end the public charge rules. Remember this bullshit the Trump administration implemented to deny green cards and immigrant visas to applicants. If, if a U.S. official determined that they might end up on food stamps or Medicaid or Section 8, then they were considered a public charge and they could deny visas based on this. It was where Ken Cuccinelli tried to rewrite the poem on the Statue of Liberty saying, send me your poor, but not too poor. Right. And he actually said that. That's absolutely amazing. 
Um, yeah, he also wanted to ban. It wasn't Cuccinelli the one that wanted to ban? Was it fellatio or um, anal sex? And uh, I think it was anal sex in his state, which is hysterical because I'm sure a lot of straight women were like, "I can get behind that." You know, he thinks it's a gay thing, but whatever. <laughs> Cuccinelli's an idiot. I can get behind that. <laughs> I'm just full of them today. You are. You are. But I didn't let that one slip by me. A ka-ching again. Okay. Now, uh, here's the thing. Biden will assemble a task force to reunite separated families under the Trump's, you know, zero tolerance policy. And so I think that that's very important. And these are going to be very easy to undo because Trump didn't do this through the legislature. He did all of that by executive order. Executive order, order, right. So... So all Biden needs to do is executive order that shit away. That's right. And no one can say, you aren't allowed to do that. It's by, you know, executive order unilaterally have to go through Congress. Um, It was put in place by executive order. So have a nice day. Yeah, it'll be nice to see uh, the mistakes that were made during this current administration remedied in the next. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. more, more, uh, headlines though. President Trump's senior military and intelligence officials have been warning him strongly against declassifying information about Russia that his advisors say would compromise sensitive collection methods and anger allies. Now this is terrifying, AG, because this man has spent four years in this office. The amount of secrets he now has on this country. I don't trust my mother said this. I don't trust him as far as I can throw a house. And I'm like, maybe you should have picked something lighter, but I understand what you're saying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So Trump and his allies want the information public because they believe it would actually rebuke claims that Russian president Vladimir Putin supported Trump in 2016. We know this isn't true. And it's been proven by one, uh, you know, one institution after the other that they did help to, uh, you know, tilt the scales for, for Trump. Uh, CIA director Gina Haspel last month argued strongly at a White House meeting against disclosing the information because she believed that doing so would violate her pledge to protect sources and methods. And a bipartisan group of Republican and Democratic senators has been trying to protect Haspel through some fear that Trump may yet oust her. So everyone's trying to protect her. She's trying to protect the information. It's a big mess right now. Um, the head of the U.S. Cyber Command at the NSA, General Nakosan, um, also argued vehemently against the declassification and like Haspel took the unusual step of directly opposing the White House on this because he feared the damage it would cause. Now, Esper agreed with him, and that might have actually been the catalyst for Trump firing him this week and replacing him uh, and three other top Pentagon officials with zero experience, zero experience conspiracy theory pals. These are the ones that like um, Islamophobic tweets. They're just awful people. And now they've been Mm -hmm. appointed into these positions. Yeah. And and there's a lot of people concerned about this, about the Pentagon firings and the NSA firings. There's coup talk, right? But uh, I have a different view, and that different view is shared by Asha Rangappa. We'll be right back to discuss it with her. She's former FBI agent, lawyer, Yale, um, queen of Yale, and uh, CNN analyst. And we'll be, we'll be talking to her about that because she's got a lot to say, and it's, it's, you don't want to miss it. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and today's episode is brought to you by American Giant. It's more important than ever to support our local communities and businesses and support the men and women making stuff in the United States. Did you know that in 1960, 95% of all clothing was made in the USA? And today it's only 3%. 
And I think right now is a perfect time to be buying clothes that are made here. Have you ever stopped to wonder why we make our stuff overseas? Why does most of the stuff we buy feel disposable and cheap and we end up throwing it away? That's why. American Giant's goal is to make things better and to make them in the United States of America. And they have built a 100% USA-based supply chain with strong relationship to factories, workers, and communities at every step. It's not the cheapest, but it makes a far better sweatshirt. (laughs) And it's better for our people and the planet, too. You don't have to ship overseas. American Giant makes clothing that's durable and not disposable, so it doesn't end up in landfills, too. And they're reclaiming the American tradition of making high-quality clothes that last. They're meant to be used more, so you need less. And they're meant to be worn more and kept longer. And so, you know, I've just recently got their Merino V-neck sweater in steel blue. I love the color. It's amazingly soft. It's really, really good quality. It's going to last me a super long time. And it was made in the USA. So support your local communities and the planet. Check out American Giant to see the best, most high-quality clothes on the market and get 15% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS. Just go to American-Giant.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. So we've seen some very unsettling moves by Trump at the Pentagon and the NSA and possibly soon to be the FBI and CIA. We know that Gina Haspel met with um, Mitch McConnell yesterday. We don't know why. But that has everyone asking what is going on. And joining me to discuss is former FBI agent, lawyer, and CNN analyst Asha Rangappa. Asha, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, It's been a while since I've talked to you, so I'm really glad you could take a moment to speak with us today. I appreciate it. Yes. Thanks for having me. So yesterday, uh, I put together a thread uh, all about some old Alexander Vindman stuff, but that was relevant because of Kosh Patel, that, you know, all that stuff involving him and how he's being put in as chief of staff uh, to this guy, the new secretary of defense of the Pentagon. We lost the number one, two and four people at the Pentagon. And then we got Mark Ellis installed at the NSA and the general counsel. And at first I thought it was NSC, and I'm like, no, it's the NSA. Holy shit. Uh, But everyone is worried now about, is this some sort of military coup that he's planning? Has this got anything to do with him trying to stay in power? And you also put a thread out yesterday about uh, your thoughts on this. I I, I just want to kind of ask you your top line thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, in the morning or mid-morning, I saw the news about Michael Ellis being – put in as general counsel at NSA over two career people in that office who would have probably normally moved into that slot. Um, and then later we, there was the news about Kash Patel going in as deputy chief of staff, um, or chief of staff, I think I forget what his position is, um, at DOD. And, you know, the light bulb went off in my head that, wait a second, both of these guys are connected to our favorite person, <laughs> Devin Nunes, Moon. Um, who, who you know, on Twitter, I've uh, often referred to as Nooney Tunes. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, this, I mean, I've been following the whole Devin Nunes thing just because he's so crazy um, ever since he did his, you know, midnight Scooby-Doo run to the White House. And so... For people who are listening who don't remember, sometime was what was it, uh, Allison? Around um, March or April? February, March, yeah, something like that. It was pretty early on of 2017. So this is one of the earliest, like bizarre things where we knew that something was not right. Um, 
where he got in an Uber and he fled to the White House and went into a skiff and was shown um, highly classified intelligence, um, which I believe was one about Michael Flynn being unmasked. And then I think something else that was a reference to himself and he flipped out. And this kind of started his crusade to discredit the Mueller probe, um, and in particular, the Carter Page FISA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so February, February, March 2018, I think. Yeah, and then, you know, he went on this, you know, crusade against the Carter Page FISA. Um, I'll get back to that in a second, because I suspect that that FISA picked up something that he is really worried about. But he basically acted super hinky, okay? Um, for like, you know, two years. Um, and Graham did too, if you yes. remember what, during some sort of hearing where he's like, are you, uh, are you listening to me right now? Would you tell me if I was? And the guy was like, look, we, we've got your request. Like apparently he put this request in a while ago and he's like, well, look, we're working on it. But you know, so they just all seemed really like, <gasps> yeah. uh, ever since, ever since the, the you know, Devin yeah. fell out of an Uber. Well, and remember, um, you know, there was a lot happening during the transition period in 2016. I believe Nunes was involved in that transition period. Um, and so, you know, anything that was picked up at that time, I mean, he he would have been involved with it. So that was my first thing. Like, ding, ding, ding. Like, both of these people are connected to Devin Nunes. Now, both of them, after the whole, um, you know, Carter Page crusade, uh, they both went to the NSC, which at the time was another kind of, you know, antenna raising thing because they don't have any national security experience. So just for background, Cash Patel is a lawyer. Um, he w- worked at DOJ for a few years. During that time, he was sanctioned by a judge in Texas, uh, for, for something, um, I believe like he showed up without a jacket on or something. I mean, he was just like you know, blowing off a federal judge. Um, and then also during the Mueller investigation, I believe Cash Patel was the one who flew to London and tried to corner Christopher Steele and get him to answer questions before Mueller could get to him. Yep, he's the one. That's the one. All right. So they both, uh, so he and this Michael Ellis character. Now, Michael Ellis was the one who uh, w- like showed Devin Nunes the material in the skiff and he's also the one who during the whole impeachment debacle yeah we're good yeah oh yeah yeah so, the, so they both go to the nsc yeah right and then then they both surface during the impeachment um debacle and so it turns out that number one and and alexander vindman testified about both of these people um cash patel was apparently Posing as the Ukraine expert on the NSC. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to the point where the, Trump thought he was the guy, the, the expert in charge of Ukraine, even though it was actually Alexander Vindman. Mm-hmm. And that was what my thread was about, was because I we just learned we, back in the day when that reporting came out and we learned about that, that the, we we were told that it was uh, Vindman was told not to go into that briefing because it would confuse the president because the president actually thought Cash Patel was the uh you know the head of Ukraine director of Ukraine at NSC and and to clarify Cash Patel has no experience in Ukraine no of course like he's not. not a Ukraine expert uh and then you know I learned yesterday from a source that it was actually when Bolton uh, spoke to 
Colonel Vindman, actually it was Fiona Hill who said, Bolton said, don't go. It wasn't because it would confuse the president. It was because they wanted to shield Vindman from hearing anything that he could be questioned about later on down the road. Ha ha, look, look what ended up happening. But it was kind of like the, a, the quote unquote drug deal that Bolton didn't want to be a part of. Right. And it was, so it was sort of like a Bolton and everybody was already involved in this shit. And they're like, you don't need to be involved in this shit either. So to protect you from being involved in this shit, stay out of it. Right. So Kash Patel is posing as the Ukraine expert, even though he knows nothing about Ukraine. And then meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, Michael Ellis was also a part of this uh, call to uh, Ukraine president. Zelensky, uh, the quid pro quo call, and also clearly figured out that this probably was not a great conversation in terms of the president's liability, because he was the one who was apparently responsible for moving that call to the code word server so that access to it was uh, restricted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like severely limited the number of eyes or ears, I guess, that would be on that call. Um, and so, yeah, so you, you've, you've got these two folks yep. who are not into, they're not military coup organizers. They are cherry picking declassifiers and uh, conspiracy theory, uh, you know, upholders. Right. I, I compared them to Crab and Goyle <laughs> from Harry Potter, mm-hmm. um, who are basically like the oafs who are the sidekicks for the the main villain draco malfoy yeah um they also like as far as i can tell don't have any kind of extensive uh you know even civilian military experience or uh intelligence experience and yet they're being put in these like very very high level senior positions in dod um and in nsa um, and then later in the day, we had a third person surface who uh, was being appointed, I think, also to DOD, um, Ezra Cohen Watnick. Mm, Watnick, yep. Yep, who also is connected to Devin Nunes. <laughs> yes. um, because Ezra Cohen Watnick, I believe, was an aide to Michael Flynn at some point. And he was also involved in in getting the intelligence uh, or, you know, making Devin Nunes aware of this uh, intelligence reports that had unmasked Michael Flynn. So they, they're all connected to this dude. And we should say that since since then, Barr appointed a guy named Bash to look into the unmasking. And that guy found nothing um, of substance. And um, t- yesterday, too. I'm sure you saw this Shane Harris piece in the Washington Post, uh, how Esper is connected to the declassification uh, stuff, because, you know, right now um, Trump is trying to go in and declassify a bunch of stuff that has to do with Russia to help debunk the entire Trump Russia, quote unquote, hoax. And um, there was the the guy. uh, Oh, what was his name? It was. He was a general in charge of national cyber or cybersecurity, uh, and he was very against this. And then, of course, Esper echoed that and said, no, this is bad. You'll show all our sources and methods. And Haspel also echoed that. And so here we have Esper being removed. Haspel is, you know, on the chopping block, potentially. 
and replaced with people who are that's what they love to do for a living is to is to declassify stuff that can expose sources and methods but don't really have any impact on reality right and selectively declassify in order to support a particular narrative yep. um, and we've seen the dni uh uh john ratcliffe do this um with i think like like literally russian collected intelligence and then he like declassified it because the Russians were claiming that it was Hillary who had interfered in the election. Anyway, the point is that they're, they, they do a lot of smoke and mirrors and Jedi mind tricks and to try to uh, throw random pieces of intelligence into the public sphere to, to create a narrative. Um, So basically my thread yesterday was, you know, everybody was like, Oh my God, he's replacing everybody at DOD. He's going to try a military coup. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if I was trying to plot a coup, I probably wouldn't send, like, two, you know, policy legal dorks, um, you know, to <laughs> DOT and right. one to NSA. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, you're plotting a coup. Like, you talk to the generals, like the people in charge of, you know, actual tactical things. And that's not where they're going. They're going into, like, these policy positions um, places that has access to intelligence and information. So my immediate kind of where where my mind jumped was they they're involved in a cover up. Like they've got to uh, I don't know what went on um, that we don't know about, but they need to cover it up. Um, and then you know there's some of this stuff today about declassifying uh, evidence, which I think is also kind of a way of covering up, right? Like you declassify things to throw people off the trail um right or to say we weren't hiding anything look we declassified it uh and it was uh also that was the david ignatius piece right and he he was the one who mentioned it was general paul nakasone who heads the u.s cyber command and at the at, at the nsa and he he was the one who, who was arguing against any disclosure uh, which is rare for for these folks and haspel to to push back so hard on the white house on anything but they did and you know now they're in trouble and I mean, all of this, like, who does this help? Like, we always have to come back to who does this help? I mean, you know, at this point, I don't know even if Trump's base cares anymore. I mean, they're going to support him regardless. This helps Putin. Yep. Yep. Always. You know, I mean, once he know, like, I, I don't know if he, I mean, there might be different, a bunch of different layers here. Like, he wants to know how we knew. Who are our sources there so that he can pick them off with nerve agents and polonium, I guess, you know, um, number two, like he wants to have something to point to. So to justify, you know, not, you know, you, your sanctions, you know, are unjustified because we're not the ones behind this. And they were, you know, let's remember that since impeachment and even through this election, Russia has been trying to put the blame on 2016 election interference on Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Ed, to lift sanctions and to blame Ukraine. This has been an ongoing goal of theirs. And now we see Trump desperately trying to get people in to help, you know, further that. And you just have to wonder, like, what? I mean, what do you think? I what? Why is he so desperate? Is it that he was promised to deliver on this and didn't and... He he said he was going to get sanctions lift. I mean, why? Well, I think, um, first of all, do you remember back 
uh, in the Mueller investigation. Concord Management was indicted. That's the, uh, I think, the Prigozhin yep. joint, the Yevgeny Prigozhin joint. Yep. And uh, they hired some American lawyers who went to court and asked for, in discovery, every single investigative document from the FBI going back to the 50s. Yep. And and it was, you know, and it, so they're just trying to get their hands on sources and methods. And they said, no, this is part of discovery. You know, we have to know how you investigated us. And they were just either, you know, bullshitting or using the courts or actually... They were trolling. Yeah. They were using the legal... Uh process to basically troll and yeah get their hands on information that they could then up their game yeah so the declassification of this which experts are warning against you know exposing sources and methods is right up putin's alley now there's a lot of different ways this could go trump is a billion dollars in debt and it's been people have been talking about is he going to sell secrets like sources and methods, for example, or arms to Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, to to help get his debts paid. You know that could be it. Um, it I always I think that uh, the Russians' motivation is self interested, which is to you know have something to try to get sanctions lifted or have an, even an argument for it. Um, but I think it's got a lot to do with paying debts, whether they're favor debts or whether it's money debts. Mm-hmm. And didn't he try to put an arms deal through also? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he did the Saudi Arabia one where Pompeo had to make an emergency declaration to do the end run around Congress to get that one done, which was investigated. And this recent one in this week was, he, you know, sending more arms to Saudi Arabia. And if you remember way back in the day, uh, one of Flynn's goals by and that's why he got KT McFarlane and Bud McFarlane on his team. Uh, and cops and he was working with was to try to get nuclear uh, capability to Saudi Arabia. It was called mm-hmm. the Middle East Marshall Plan. So that could also be part of it. Yeah. So the the point I think we're getting to is that there is a lot of um, ooga booga distraction going on with you know these this election litigation. Um, People, you know, being concerned about a military coup. And I mean, I don't want to dismiss the severity. Like, you know, they are definitely trying to undermine democracy and and faith and uh, in the outcome and the legitimacy, um, you know, of Biden's win. But you can chime in. I, I don't think the military is going to stage a coup. No, and I don't think he has the capability to do it either. We've had we've had several instances of pushback by General Milley uh, and the Joint Chiefs. And then, you know, you can also wonder if the election delay and the GSA, Emily Murphy delay, have anything to do with with this uh, as well. If they, if they don't, 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 they don't care about the election. They don't want Biden transition team in there looking at all their shit. Well, that was my point, is that one of the major effects of this is that it effectively bars um, Biden from having access to national security information. Yeah. And so they could not only be digging up to declassify and sell secrets, but they could be shredding, trying to hide crimes. They can't. They won't be able to do that. There's no way to plug all the holes. Exactly. Yeah. But that, you know, that's not going to that's never stopped Trump from putting a piece of paper in his mouth and swallowing it before. So it's, you know, he has no concept of the Presidential Records Act or, or you know, technology or the thousands and thousands of, of career you know, professionals who would be like, no. So 
I, there's just it seems like a bunch is going on, but I'm with you. I don't think it's a military coup. Yeah, and I think it's just worth putting out there because I think we, you know, if if people number one, you don't want to. Um, I, I I've been saying you want to respond, not react, and so taking a step back and thinking through like, who are these people? What is the benefit of actually placing them into these positions? You know, gives us maybe a few different possibilities um, to keep in mind and keep our eye out. Whereas I think if we're being completely, you know, kind of reactive without really thinking through, um, you know, we may actually be playing into the the goal here which is to have us distracted while you know like you said like they're burning the files in the back. <laughs> right making copies as my co-host said yeah you know and it's look it's it's it, you know it's not like things are mutually exclusive and there's only one but i do think that we we have to think about what is the the likely like what is what is doable and what is really not yeah um in terms of what what their end goal is. Mm -hmm. And I'm also concerned about potential uh, reflexive control techniques by getting us all to scream that there's no voter fraud, no election fraud, no voter fraud, no election fraud. So that if anyone does in the future uncover that Trump committed election fraud, they'd be, oh, no, 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 you said there was mm -hmm. none, you know. And so I'm, I'm concerned a little bit about that as well. But well, I mean, we'll just have to cross those bridges when we come to them. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's so hard to game out. I mean, my, you know, I'm just like, let's just keep our eye on the prize. Like, he just, we just need to get him out of the White House. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, once then that'll be like phase two when we can figure out what what is exactly happening. And I honestly, you know, I'm not worried about the military. I'll tell you, I think the most dangerous person in the government right now is Bill Barr. Mm -hmm. You know that if you've been following. Like, I think he, because... He has the ability to create a, a veneer of legality mm -hmm. over illegal actions. Yeah, and I did actually, I went uh, in yesterday's episode, I went completely through your uh, piece in the Washington Post about those concerns as well. So if anybody missed that episode, you listen to it. I think it's yesterday's or the day before. But yeah, it's it's a thing. It's a thing. He could make it harder, make it harder for sure. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. he's been doing that. He's been whipping up these Office of Legal Counsel memos saying, no, it's legal to stop Ukraine funds uh, or, you know, whatever on the fly as shit happens. And I'm sure that they're working on a bunch of stuff right now too to make prosecution of him and the whole administration harder. Yeah. Well, We'll see. We'll see okay. what happens. But <laughs> but everybody, it's uh, don't worry about a military coup. Don't think that's going to happen. Obviously, uh, you know, we'll keep you posted. And Asha, I really appreciate you coming on today uh, and speaking with us about it. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. In the future, when when COVID is over, we need to go have a, a wine and fries night. We definitely do. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. <laughs> OK, take care. Everybody stick around right after this. We'll be discussing uh, some other interesting concepts with Renato Mariotti. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG for The Daily Beans. And this portion of the podcast is brought to you by The New Yorker. 
I have been a fan of The New Yorker since forever. I remember picking up my first copy because I was so drawn by the art and design and the cartoons. And now The New Yorker has been the cream of the crop in print and online. And The New Yorker stands apart for its commitment to truth and accuracy, quality writing, and compelling reporting and storytelling. The New Yorker is considered by many to be one of the most influential publications in the world. The New Yorker's weekly print issues and daily online articles cover a wide range of topics. So there's something for everyone. There's, you know, politics and news and international affairs for folks like me, but there's also climate change and the environment, pop culture, which I love, the arts, fiction, food, humor, and of course, the cartoons. The New Yorker has become the daily digital destination for news and cultural coverage, too. They publish 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every day, and you can go back to the digital archive going back to 1925. You can solve the crossword puzzles. There's just so much. And The New Yorker has content from the best writers in America today. A couple of my favorite contributing writers include Gia Tolentino, whose work includes a profile of Gloria Allred. And then there's Helen Rosner, a James Beard award-winning food writer on all things gastronomic. A 12-week subscription to The New Yorker for just $6 gets you home delivery of the print edition every week, plus unlimited access to the New Yorker website. That is a 50% discount for the listeners. And for a limited time, you can get the 12 weeks of the New Yorker for just $6. That's a savings of 50%. Plus, listeners of the show will receive an exclusive tote bag for free. So go to newyorker.com slash dailybeans. That's N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-E-R dot com slash dailybeans to get 12 weeks of the New Yorker for just $6 and a free tote bag. newyorker.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, Ever since Bob Mueller testified in July of last year, uh, when Ken Buck asked him that faded question, that Trump can be criminally prosecuted once he leaves office, we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this eventuality. Well, the time is almost upon us, and our next guest wrote a piece in Politico outlining how we should go about it. Please welcome former U.S. attorney and host of the On Topic podcast, our friend Renato Mariotti. Renato, welcome. Hey, thank you. It's been a couple of months. I, I hope you're doing well. I am. It's good to be back. Love your podcast. It's good to have you. Um, so, Renato, you kick off this article by basically agreeing with Mueller that Trump has something to worry about come January 20th, 2021. But you warn that Biden does, too. What What does Biden have to worry about? Because a lot of us remember this dilemma when Obama took office after Bush lost. And, and I was hoping you could talk about the concerns and conflicts. Sure. So, look, right now, trust in the Justice Department is uh, at a low point. Uh, Barr has politicized the Justice Department. And so, obviously, uh, all of us who are critics of the Trump administration are looking with a very uh, skeptical eye towards what the Justice Department has been doing. And on the other side of the aisle, of course, Trump's been attacking the Justice Department and FBI. So his followers also don't trust them. And it's essentially he's essentially tried to convince everyone that everything that has been uh, done by the Justice Department has a political bent, which is not which is not true. And I think there is an interest in our country and having a depolitical DOJ, having uh, public trust and faith in that institution. So Biden has to be concerned about if in his administration there's investigations and prosecutions of Trump, uh, will it appear politically motivated? And I think we know that uh, Trump's allies are going to to, um, make that charge no matter what, but he has to figure out how can I do this in a way that will reduce um, the political appearance uh, of these investigations and prosecutions. 
Yeah, and and there's been a couple of things that we've we've talked about on our show here, steps that Biden has taken or at least said he would take. He told uh, Stephanopoulos in that last town hall that was supposed to be a debate that, uh, you know, when he brought up the 10 obstruction of justice charges that that uh, Mueller found, um, he he was asked about that. And he said, I'm not that's not up to me. That's up to my Department of Justice, which wasn't a no, per se. But, you know, he said that's up to the DOJ. And as I mentioned, uh, it, well, we heard from The New York Times when Erdogan pulled him under a tree and asked him if he could stop that Hulk Bank investigation. And Biden said, no, we can't do that. Obama would be impeached if we did that. So, again, signs that he doesn't want to have anything to do with the Department of Justice mm-hmm. or at least, you know, interfering. And as I mentioned, he said he will sign an executive order keeping the executive branch out of the Department of Justice. But you say Apart from all that, there is one tool Biden could use to avoid even having to toe that line. What is that solution? Yeah, my solution is to appoint a special counsel. And the reason I think that's important is if if that doesn't happen, there is going to be a lot of speculation about his attorney general, uh, his, uh, who, whoever that ultimately may be, and what role she plays in that process. So we you know, the last time there was a very politically charged uh, investigation during the Obama administration, the Clinton email investigation, there was all sorts of speculation about what Loretta Lynch's role was in that investigation. And in fact, um, there was so much of a question that that is what ultimately led to Comey making his unfortunate decision to make his own announcements. And, and to avoid all of that, uh, all those questions and speculation, if you have a career prosecutor who's not political, who's appointed as a special counsel with a clear mandate up front that everyone knows about, so we don't have a Mueller situation where everyone's guessing as to what this person does, and also a commitment, a public commitment by the attorney general that she won't uh, you know, interfere with that investigation and will respect um, and follow the recommendations of the special counsel, I think that's the closest we can get to a decision that will be divorced from politics, or at least will have the appearance of that. Now, what would you say to people who might have a bad taste in their mouths about special counsel investigations, given the perceived outcome of the Mueller probe? And, Mm -hmm. you know, also, um, I mean, you know, we did a whole podcast on, on Mueller, she wrote. People, for some reason, mistakenly think I hold Mueller to this, you know, that he's on a pedestal here. But there was a lot he didn't do and should have done. And and uh, what about what do you say to people who are worried that that kind of thing might happen again? Well, a couple things. So first of all, our justice system isn't perfect. And all that we should want as citizens is for Trump to be held to the same standard as every other citizen. So I investigated a lot of people, and I'm sure I wasn't a perfect investigator uh, back when I was a federal prosecutor. Uh, Now my clients are investigated, and uh, I have issues at times with how the Justice Department investigates my clients. But I think the perfect shouldn't be the enemy of the good. In other words, there, there may be problems no matter who is, you know, no matter who is ultimately making the decisions here. But if we have somebody who's independent and takes a look at it and makes whatever decisions that he or she makes, I think we all have to respect that. Uh, ultimately, um, I suspect we won't be happy with all the decisions that are made, regardless of whether this approach is followed, whether it's Sally Yates or whoever the attorney general might be making who makes a decision 
or whether it's a special counsel. And But I think the important thing is to have a process that is fair, a process that is actually fair, not only to, I think, to Trump uh, and to, but also fair to the, you know, to the public and the public interest, but also one that, that appears to be fair so that we can have a higher level of faith in the process. Yeah. And I wonder who could possibly be an independent special prosecutor in this climate. I think it would have to be somebody that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> I, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, unfortunately, that's right. I mean, for example, you know, my former uh, boss, Pat Fitzgerald, was the special counsel during um, the uh, during the uh, Bush administration investigating Scooter Libby. And at the time, no one knew who Pat Fitzgerald was, I think, at the beginning of that. or I'm sure People did. But I mean, he wasn't a household name. And that that's a good thing. And there are plenty of United States attorneys around this uh, around this country who would do a fine job as a special counsel and are not, uh, you know, well known, but are people who are, you know, apolitical and just happen uh, to be an experienced prosecutor. And I think the important thing here is a lot of the work has already been done. We are Mueller's already investigated Trump. You have a lot of reports, you know, that you can look at regarding obstruction of justice and make a call there. You know, the, there's a tax uh, audit that's already been ongoing. You can look in, at that information and make a decision. A lot of this stuff, you know, is more about having it, an independent person making a judgment call rather than uh, initiating a new investigation uh, at square one. Yeah, and that also lets the states continue their work, um, state prosecutors in their in their investigations and. You know, there's another thing, too, here. Mueller was bound by the Office of Legal Counsel memo that, you know, you can't indict a sitting president. And because of that, his report wasn't conclusory. You know, even even when he was saying, I, I can't even say he committed obstruction of justice because I can't indict him and he won't have his day in court. That's unconstitutional. A lot of people think that that was a, a bridge too far uh, for constitutional protections, but that was the decision that he made. And we don't have to deal with that issue at this point. But would how do criminal... Uh, pro, how, how does Trump end up in prison from a special counsel investigation? Are there criminal referrals made to the DOJ at that point? Or would this be, do we need solicitor general rewrite of the special counsel regulations? I mean, how, how do we go from special counsel investigation to jail, which is where most people want to see him? <laughs> well, yeah, the special counsel actually functions as a United States attorney. So the special counsel can, in uh, uh, go to the grand jury and obtain indictments. And, and in fact, as we know, we all know, the special counsel's office did that for various individuals and obtained indictments and convictions. Now, they didn't do that for Trump because, as you note, uh, there was an OLC policy that uh, Mueller was bound by. There was also, of course, uh, a, a limited scope of authority and instructions by Rod Rosenstein, who oversaw that investigation, which is why I said up front, that we would need to have more transparency here and an AG who uh, actually was going to give freedom to that special counsel. And also you had a tremendous amount of not just obstruction uh, by the, by uh, Trump and his allies and his administration, but also you had uh, them creating this massive public disinformation campaign and putting immense pressure on the special counsel and that office felt like, you know, they couldn't, for example, have a drawn out subpoena fight against Trump. Now things are different. Trump's a former president. 
You're going to have a special counsel who's not hamstrung at all by the Biden administration. I really think the power dynamics are, are going to be very different here, and it'll enable that per, that special counsel to do whatever uh, he or she thinks is appropriate. Right. So the attorney general is ultimately involved. Just it, this puts it at a, a better arm's length or at least one more degree of separation from Biden's appointed attorney general. And you bring up um, we've talked a little bit about the things that people might not like about appointing a special counsel. Let's talk about some of the bonuses that we would get out of appointing a special counsel, like things where you look into stuff that isn't necessarily a federal crime, but was bad shit. For example, the Hatch Act violations, the multiple Hatch Act violations. There's no criminal punishment for violating the Hatch Act, but that could be looked into and some other things could be looked into as well. Talk talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I think, for example, uh, you know, Hatch Act is a great example of something where th- there's a, there was obviously a lot of uh, outrage over the way in which the Trump administration flouted that statute, didn't follow the law. And, you know, there were some people who claimed that you for, could, for example, um, uh, you know, charge that as a crime. I think a special counsel should take a look at it. Those are very apparent. You know, everyone knows what happened there. You wouldn't need much investigation. You could just, you know, look at the video and see who was involved, you know, with that, right? It's <laughs> yeah. not hard. So, so the question <laughs> is just what it, just a judgment call. Is this the sort of thing that should be prosecuted by the Justice Department and a special counsel could take a look at that? And if not, if, if the special counsel decides not to, could write a report that explains why that sort of thing shouldn't be a criminally, uh, couldn't, shouldn't be punished criminally, should in fact is the sort of thing that should be dealt with civilly. And I will also say that I do think Biden should um, also have a, you know, someone conducting a non-criminal investigation because for the things that the special counsel decides not to pursue. So in other words, the special counsel may say, there's no statute, criminal statute, that covers tearing children away from their parents. Right. Or um, emoluments, right? Or, right, or emoluments. Yeah. Exactly. There's no emoluments crime. But that this is something that we, as, ta- as American citizens, deserve to know what the government did in our name with our tax dollars. And so we should have a non-criminal uh, commission investigate that. So to me, you know, that at least has transparency and it involve, you know, create some finality around all of these things. And it can start, I think, generate a conversation about what do we need to reform to make things better in the future? Yeah, it could. That's my thought. It could be used as a baseline for redeveloping or revisiting our ethics laws that just don't have teeth. And, and you know, you might not come up with a crime or a fine or jail time for something like emoluments or the Hatch Act, but you could make a finding. Uh, and a finding, I think, at the level of a special counsel would have more weight, or at least, yeah, I guess more weight than a finding, say, in a in a House subcommittee investigation. I think also, sure. And I also think that, look, the, the House, the investigation is only part of what they do. It's a, it's a limited part of what they do. We've all seen the process, investigative process work, and we know the limitations of it. And, um, you know, whenever you're dealing with a a process that's run by politicians, it's different than having a professional investigator with grand jury subpoena power, for example, investigating things. And if you want to have a non-criminal component where you have somebody else 
who is not a criminal uh, criminal investigator handle do a non-criminal investigation of certain topics. You could have that. It could be like the 9-11 Commission report where we know that was not a criminal inquiry, but we know a lot about what happened. And you could you can literally buy the book and get the full report and learn the details of what happened in 9-11 and what mistakes were made and so forth. Um, and, you know, we could do we could have something like that, like you said, for emoluments or separation of children or all these other travesties that maybe aren't necessarily going to be the subject of a criminal investigation, but nonetheless are things that we all need to make sure don't happen again. Yeah. And they'll still be demonized as political, but it's, it's far, it's far harder to, to label it that than it would be just a a house um, investigation, which are by their very nature end up becoming political. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And it, it, I think that's I think that's the best thing for the country. And I, I, I don't I don't imagine I will just say this, everyone. I don't think that we would all be happy with the results, all of them. OK, uh, but it would mean that for whatever they do go forward with, let's just say there's like, OK, all we're going to charge Trump with is obstruction or whatever it, the, the conclusion is. I'm not saying that would be I'm just hypothetically people could feel like, OK, this person, we're not, none of us are completely happy with the result, but we, you know, Jane Doe, uh, whoever this, this prosecutor was, at least, uh, you know, had a principal reason for what she did and she came up with whatever results she did. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I mean, the way that the Mueller investigation went, you know, they didn't get Manafort on all of the things we wanted to get Manafort on, but they got him on enough to put him in jail for probably the rest of his life. And so if it's just five counts of obstruction of justice and we come up with uh you know you know what i'm saying you know what i'm getting at yeah exactly right it's it's like you don't you don't need to spend a hundred million dollars to investigate and have findings on every single crime that trump committed just to feel better as long as he goes to jail for long enough for it to be satisfactory i think that that's fine well yeah absolutely i was just saying Whenever you're investigating anyone, you draw kind of a line in the sand at a certain point or draw a circle around certain behavior where you say, look, we've investigated enough. We've got enough here. Let's just move forward and bring our case. And I think, you know, there, you know, here it's different because there's a national interest in knowing what happened. Um, but I think at a certain point, people have, you know, there is an element here of a need to need to move on. And I imagine um, at least I've heard enough secondhand stuff that there's some interest amongst the you know, the new administration, hey, let's move on, right? Let's move on from Trump. Let's move forward and do other things. And so this is a way of having a process by which this the, the past is dealt with in a responsible way um, so that they can move on also with the, the process of, of governing and, and uh, you know, improving the country. Yeah. Well, we will see what happens and we'll have you back on to talk about it. Everybody, former federal prosecutor. And check out the On Topic podcast. Uh, really, you need to. It's an incredible show. Thanks for coming on, Renato Mariotti. I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Echelon, which provides connected fitness equipment at an affordable price. There is nothing like feeling the awesome feeling of finishing an incredible workout. 
or, you know, beating a personal record and achieving your fitness goals. And Echelon prides itself on being able to help users get there. I love this service so much. Uh, One Echelon membership lets up to five household members enjoy all the benefits. The variety of equipment and programs is incredible. Echelon has connected bikes that give you like an immersive studio experience. You feel like you're there. And they have smart rowers that take you down the best waterways in the world. And the Reflect Smart Mirrors for personal training at the touch of a button. And there's just one app to connect them all. It's very Lord of the Rings, but it's for Echelon. And Echelon United provides access to all content throughout Echelon's products. They have thousands of on-demand classes with 30-plus accredited world-class trainers, including guests and celebrity instructors, too. So work out with the Echelon community, inspire each other, climb the leaderboards. It's really, really fun. Echelon has been featured in Women's Health, Cosmo, Time, People, and more. And the Wall Street Journal says Echelon has cracked the code. Yahoo Finance says Echelon, where fitness and technology united a price you can afford. So if you want to turn things around and get in the best shape of your life, check it out at echelonfit.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And today with me is Dana again. How are you? It is so good to be with you as always. I'm doing good. I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, we doing, should do the good news as I'm a musical. I'm so tired. I know. I'm just, I know it's, we still have a couple of days left in this week, but I am exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it hit me. Like I was feeling great the last couple of days, but then I just feel like I'm getting waves of catch up loss of sleep that just happen yeah. every three or four days. And then I'm just exhausted again. So hopefully that'll stop after enough time has gone by, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We got a lot of good news. And if you want to submit your good news stories or confessions or current, you know, or uh, what else do we have? Corrections. You can do that at, uh, you can see how adverse I am to people correcting me, <laughs> but you can do that at, uh, at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And I'm just going to dig right in. I want to go with this first one because it mentions a place that I'm is very dear to my heart. So this is from Brittany, pronouns she and her. It's been difficult to find get a, to find a getaway due to the COVID. But recently, my husband and I got to spend a few days in beautiful Sedona, Arizona. My husband put a tent on top of his truck and we camped for two days. Although there were some Trump flags, everyone at the campsite was very kind. Maybe a little weird, but who isn't? We really enjoyed our time and can't wait to return to visit the energy vortexes. Uh, I took my smallest baby with me. She hated every minute as she is a city dog. (laughs) I sent my big kids on puppy vacation and they had the best time. AG, DG, thank you for all you do uh, as you guide us through this madness. I appreciate you both sending positive vibes your way every day. And then there's photos. And I... Look at that dog with the lion's mane. I know, but look at the dog in the backpack. I don't understand. Neither of these dogs look unhappy to be out there. <laughs> well, I think the little dog in the backpack went. Right. Um, but the, the two big the two big babies went to... I mean, uh, listen, Brittany, I believe you, but that looks like a smile on your dog's face. Look at the cow. I know. Look at the, the knitted cow dog outfit. Now, I love Sedona. I go there like two times a year. Uh, I haven't really since, you know, since coronavirus, but... It's absolutely one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Agreed. It's so, so incredible. I love it. I love it. I'm actually, uh, I'm quarantining right now. This may sound strange. I'm quarantining for the required days. I'm going to get tested so I can drive to Albuquerque to see my mom. I haven't seen her in a year. Um, but I'm going to do one night in Sedona and then one night on the way back. Um, so that I oh, so I can nice. break up the driving and take in maybe a vortex and a hike. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, but we'll, we'll, it'll be nice to see my family. 
Yeah, there's the airport vortex and the bell rock vortex. There, there, I think there's like seven up there. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're magnificent. Uh, we have more good news. This comes from Jane. Jane pronouns she and her. I'm working on a boat in New Zealand right now. I have some friends on a boat in Fiji. Sunday morning, they woke up to the local people running around the the anchorages, the anchorages in small boats, waving U.S. flags and cheering. Proud to be American again. Mm. Boater fraud. I call boater fraud. (laughs) I've been living out of the country for 20 years, and it is not pretty to listen to what others think of our politics. I am very happy. Attaches my daughter's pod pet, Dozer, as I cannot have pets on the boat. Oh, my God. Look at Dozer just peeking out. (laughs) That is so. <laughs> Look at the underbite. Uh, it's a and it's a side underbite. It's a. Oh my goodness! It's to the. It's like under and to the side. That is beautiful. Dozer is that from Fraggle Rock? I hope it is. Uh, beautiful, beautiful baby. Next up from Scarecrow, pronouns he and him. Hello, Beans team. I have a story of petty revenge. Oh, yes. Okay, cool. Over the past few weeks, someone has stolen or destroyed eight of my Biden signs, coming onto my property, pulling them up despite the Vaseline, glitter, and five-foot pipe supports hammered into the ground. (laughs) (laughs) I spend election night in a van with a rifle guarding my Biden flag. (gasps) Three weeks ago, someone put a pallet with a Trump make liberals cry again flag nailed it into a public traffic island near my house. I had to see it every day. My revenge. On Sunday, I painted a life-size Nelson Muntz, that's the bully from The Simpsons, that ha-ha, that guy, yeah. pointing <laughs> and saying his catchphrase. Oh, look, ha-ha, if I would just I, <laughs> I would just keep reading. I posed next to it, the flag, and took a photo. Then I put a Trump sign in my yard where my Biden signs had been and took another Nelson photo. <laughs> Most of my friends loved it, but a few were offended. I left the post up on Facebook for 20 hours, then deleted it. (laughs) Feeling vengeful, might delete later, IDK. Um, Here's the photo, as well as my weird pod pet. My wife is allergic to fur, so we have 23 chickens. Oh, 23 is my favorite number, and chickens are my favorite. Here is a picture of Carol. She's named after Carol Danvers because they have the same hairdo. (laughs) Here she is with a drawing of her dressed as Captain Marvel. Love the show. Thanks for being awesome. This is amazing. Oh, my God. Out of curiosity, why is 23 your favorite number? Uh, it just has been forever. It's like one, It's like a good it's a good prime number. Uh, two and three is five. Five has two and two on either side with one in the middle. It's nice and balanced. Look at you. All right. There's a really good in-depth yeah. answer. I sound like uh, I sound like somebody, uh, that lady, that Q lady. No, but if you look, if you take 12,000 <laughs> votes and divide it by six. Oh, my and, God. And then you. Did you see Ted Lou's response to that? Yes. Oh, he's, yes. I love that he's my rep. If you get an opportunity and you're on Twitter, check out Ted Lou's response to the math with the Q person. It's it's hilarious. I could actually pull it up fairly quickly because I retweeted it uh, this morning and it's brilliant there's i have a couple of favorite parts but it's it's hard to pick one out of the whole tweet um but i retweeted it my my retweet was just i love ted lu and i do that all the time because he's just so fantastic and his his tweet says well marjorie taylor's tweet said let's look at some absentee voting history 2012 obama received 87,000 votes 2016 clinton 98,000 votes 2020 biden 849,000 Notice anything fishy? <laughs> so 
Ted Lou. Ted Lou says, if you add eighty-seven four seventy-eight and ninety-eight four seventeen, and then subtract from eighty-four nine one eighty-two, you get six seventy-three two seventy-eight. Then divide by forty-six because Biden is the forty-sixth president, and round down to fourteen six thirty-six. Then subtract Biden's current lead in Georgia of twelve six fifty-one. You get nineteen eighty-five. Divide that by two point nine eight just because, and you get six six six. I mean, he's just so funny. I tweeted something of his, and I was like, my rep is funnier than yours is. <laughs> oh my god is. but this chicken picture you have to see and the ha ha for trump 2020 make liberals cry again so good so thank you for sending so that in good all right this one's a long one but we have christine pronounce she and her hello ladies i have some good news to share i've been listening since late 2018 during a really low time in my life it was right after my son was born and our beloved corgi mix mini jedi passed away suddenly Being a mom changed my views on how politically involved I needed to be. Plus, I was driving 45 minutes to work each day on a very little sleep, and my brother was battling stage 4 tongue cancer. Um, I took my... Yeah, goodness. I took on the role of being his voice and healthcare advocate, all while finishing my PhD and battling uh, postpartum depression. I was angry and felt unprepared for what was happening in our country. Having a reason to laugh and curse the orange turd motivated me to go back to the beginning of your initial recordings. So for every day, five or so days a week, for about 90 minutes, my little guy and I have listened to the pod. For a while, I've worried he'd someday start dropping some F-bombs, but this kid is quiet, (laughs) listening to MSW and now TDB without much fuss. Often thought, maybe he's not listening, and I'm good to keep listening on our drive. Until Monday. Monday, AG mentioned not being able to remember what a bulldozer was. And damn, did my son have something to say about that. The rest of our drive home was my son yelling, bulldozer, bulldozer, vroom, vroom, mommy, mommy, bulldozer. See, even this fucking kid knows what a bulldozer is. Oh my goodness, it's hilarious. I can't stop laughing. Well, that answers that question. He's absolutely listening. And I'll keep hoping he'll repeat words like bulldozer and bus and clown and not the fucking twat clown did X today. (laughs) But even if he did start repeating those things, I think he'll still keep listening. Um, My goodness. Uh, Plus, to add to the good news, we finally added a dog back to our family months ago. Daisy Ray, our Disney-loving family, needed to keep our Mickey and Star Wars theme in her name. And I finally am finishing my dissertation and will defend on Monday, November 23rd third congratulations my dear oh and i've been fairly relaxed and prepped for this voting madness red mirage because of you all while my husband and our families have been freaking out thank you for the peace of mind (laughs) oh look at this little shepherd what a honey and christine you're a warrior seriously with all of that that you went through and did it under the trump regime and you know now uh, and uh, I'm just, I'm so super proud. Um, that's that's warrior style behavior, really, honestly. You're a survivor for sure. Next up from Terry, pronoun she and her. Instead of stress eating my way through election day, I decided to get creative and take an extra long walk with my pod dog, Gracie, around my little corner of the anarchist jurisdiction of Seattle. <laughs> I've set, I've set a goal to walk a thousand miles in 2020 and I'm well on my way at 870 miles toward reaching that goal. You and your wonderful wonderful podcast has helped me maintain my sanity this year, kept me company as I walked 14 miles on November 3rd, which resulted in one tired pooch and a pretty chill me. <laughs> I also resulted in the map image I've attached. Oh, my God. Very cathartic. <gasps> 
Thank you for all you do and keep up the wonderful work. This is brilliant. So here we have a map near, uh, looks like Fred Meyer area. Uh, there, well, there's a Fred Meyer there, but uh, I love this person. Oh my God, Terry, thank you so Thank you for this. <laughs> <laughs> they walked in a pattern that spells fuck Trump. And they even did a hashtag on the U in the fuck to in case. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is brilliant. I'm posting this on the social medias, and it will be in our newsletter. That's incredible. Fuck I Trump. Love it. Look at that. All right, our last good news stories. This last, yeah, this is the last one, but it's a goodie. This is from Jenny. Pronoun she and her. Hello, Illuminati. Good news from a good day. That got even better. My boyfriend and I were visiting my sister and her family in Colorado over the weekend. Saturday morning dawned with renewed wonder regarding the election results. We would finally, mercifully, have a Biden-Harris administration on a horizon. All our beans came true when mere hours later the networks called what our hearts, souls, blood, sweat, and tears had so desperately wanted, nay, needed for the last four years. Biden had won. The nightmare was at last coming to an end. Later that day, we all went for a hike in the crisp Colorado air, enjoying mountain vistas and November sunshine. We paused at a picturesque spot to take some photos when suddenly my boyfriend got down on one knee, revealed a beautiful diamond ring from a box he'd been squirreled away in his pocket and proposed to me. Uh, See, this is how you know we're reading these live. Uh, Surprise and shock Mm. melted into happy tears, and I've been grinning like an idiot and staring at my ring ever since. It still feels surreal, incredible, but surreal. Later that evening, watching Kamala Harris address an enthusiastic crowd on TV in my sister's living room, my heart swelled as I saw my two young nieces who were also watching the screen. A strong, inspiring woman of color as the vice president, a woman who gives no fucks and takes no shit from those who condescend and patronize her. This is the new normal. When they reach my age, early 40s, a woman in the White House will, hopefully, not be groundbreaking, but will instead be the norm, something they've grown up with. What a day, what a day. Saturday, November 7th will go down in memory as one of the best days ever in more ways than one. I know there are many trying days ahead as the twat in chief and his cronies do their damnedest to undermine democracy. But the good news is that the countdown has begun and their time will soon be up. Tick-tock, motherfucker. I'm sharing my pics of our spoiler feathery floof quill the cockatiel. She is our everything. Oh my goodness. Oh. Thanks for the great work and hours of entertainment, hope and comfort you've provided over the years. You've made my life slightly more bearable during the most unbearable time. Godspeed, January 2021. Mm. Look at the floof. Quill is super cute. Quill, what a cool name. Spoiled feathery floof. I love it. Adorable. Thank you so much for that. Congratulations, Jenny. That's wonderful. Yeah, November 7th. What's the opposite of infamy? Femi? Femi? A day that we'll live in Femi. <laughs> yes, it is a very good day. And uh, again, congratulations. And thanks to everyone's good news submissions. I really appreciate it. And your corrections and confessions. Send them in. Just go to dailybeanspod.com and click contact. Do you have anything before we get out of here? No, I just want to wish everyone well tonight. Thank you so much for always listening and supporting the pod and uh, just taking care of yourself. That's it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other, too, and your mental health and the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>